Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Views on View. I'm your host, Lindsay Wardell. With me today is Raymond Camden. Hello. Welcome. And our special guest today is Michael. I'm blanking on your last name. Thiessen? Is that correct? Thiessen. I apologize about that. Welcome, Michael. No problem. Glad to be here. Yeah. Leveling up is important. I spend at least an hour every day learning ways I can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book. If you're looking to level up, I recommend you start out with the 12-week year as a system to plan out where you want to end up and how to get the results you want. You can get it free by going to audibletrial.com slash code. That's audibletrial.com slash code. Michael is a returning guest. You may have heard him on our episode 121, talking about reusable components. And in that episode, we were talking about the six layers of reusability that you were developing and putting a course together about. And this time, your course is ready to be released. Is that correct? Yeah. So November 3rd, this course is launched. And so, yeah, excited about that for sure. Yeah. And as part of preparing for this episode, you gave me the opportunity to preview the course, which I have been thoroughly enjoying, getting a lot of good information out of. And so, yeah, we just want to talk to you about the course and kind of what it covers, how it can help developers. And I'd also like to talk about your process on how you got the course built and set up and deployed for everyone to use. How does that sound? Sounds great. Cool. So before we dive into it, let's let's just recap the six levels of reusability for our listeners. And anyone who wants a longer version of this, please go and listen to our episode 121. If you'd like an even longer version, I highly recommend the course. It is an excellent place to learn all about building reusable components. Yeah, so, so Michael, the, go ahead. The, the six levels are, number one would be templating, and then there is configuration, then adaptability, inversion, extension, and then nesting. So each of these levels, I sort of, I like to think of them as, as not like fundamental laws of the universe. Um, these are just like some concepts I came up with. So I like to say that you should feel free to disagree with me because I, you know, I can, I can be wrong and you can maybe add some, some things here or there, but yeah. So these six different levels in more detail. So templating is like the most basic thing you think of when you think of components. So it's just reusing a chunk of code by wrapping it up inside of a component. So instead of copying and pasting, you can use a component to sort of provide as a template. The second level is configuration. So now we're starting to use props to alter the behavior of a component in various different ways. So you can have a component that has a compact view or maybe a more descriptive view. And so you can control the behavior a little bit. And so you get a little bit more variation within a single component. The third level is adaptability. So we move on from using props to now starting to use slots a little bit. And the reason that we like to use slots is that props have some inherent limitations with them where you can't you can't give someone a blank check in essence with a with a prop as much as you can with a slot. A slot gives you much more of like this blank space that you can then fill in later on. And so it gives you an ability to future proof your components and make them adaptable. 
The fourth level is inversion. And that's where we dig into scope slots. And the reason it's called inversion is that we're using inversion of control, where we have a child component that will give up control over what's being rendered to the parent component through the use of a scoped slot. And so that gives you quite a bit more flexibility in terms of how your component is being written. Then with level five, we start to take these concepts that we've built on and sort of push it to the max within a single component and start adding in extension points in in different places in the component. So this lets us override various aspects of a component, however we see fit. So you could have a footer of a modal, for example, and with extension, you could override that footer to be something else. And then the last one would be nesting, where we now move outside of a single component and see how we can apply slots to an entire component hierarchy. And by passing extension points around in that component hierarchy, we can do some really interesting things that are quite a bit of fun to think about. Awesome. Are you going to say something, Raymond? Yeah. So I, I was going to say, you know, I still feel like a beginner view person. I've been doing it for a couple of years. My component usage is probably what level was prompts? Level two, level three? Yeah, level two. Yeah. So I've done slots, I've done scope slots. When do you feel like, like how long were you working with Vue where you felt like, you know, I'm hitting these kind of like mental walls. I need to think more about how I do my components. You know, like like roughly how long were you along your journey of learning Vue? Yeah, so I kind of think about it more of the requirements for your application. Mm-hmm. So it's like for my my website is written in Vue, but it's a pretty simple blog. And so I don't really do that much with it. I may be on like level two or level three in terms of the components that I'm writing. Mm -hmm. But at my day job, it's a much larger application that's much longer lived and being worked on every day. And so that's how I ended up developing up to this level six, because I've, I've been heavily involved in building component libraries and, and also just building components that can be used across an entire app across dozens of developers all working on the same thing. So it's it's funny you mentioned component libraries because I definitely see things in Vue that I think it's good that it's in there, but I'll never use it. But I can see people who are building like uh, Vue, uh, Vue Bootstrap, like like they need it. Is, is, there a, is there a feeling in terms of how much of those six levels would apply to people building libraries versus people who are using libraries? Yeah, so I think if you're building a library, you're probably going to, there's there's a bigger focus on reusability for sure. I mean, that's kind of like the entire point of a component library. <laughs> and at the same time, though, it's in a, in a larger application that you're, you're still going to see the value of reusability, but it might be less frequent because more often you, you're going to build a one-off thing here and there or something that might be used you know, across a couple different pages or a couple different modals. So you don't need to have as much mm-hmm. reusability. But then you do get into things like 
if you're building an application and you have a, a header that sort of acts like a toolbar or or something like that, and if that's present on every single page across your application, but takes on slightly different forms and is used slightly differently, then that kind of a component is definitely where something like nesting comes into play, where you have this thing across maybe 50, 60 different pages used and being used in all these different ways. Yeah, since we since we spoke last, I've I've been itching to do some refactoring on the project I do at work. We have a component that is used on just about every page. And it is it is ripe for using scoped slots and applying some of the concepts that you have for extension and nesting. On the other hand, it's it's a component that is heavily used in the application. And there's so much at, at this point, there's so much technical debt in how it functions today that it makes it hard to refactor. So one thing I did while I was while I was going through the courses, I started working on a new data table for our application because so we've got three or four different ones that all use different variants of props, and I and I tried to apply some of the concepts of extension there. And I I've really enjoyed the way that you you talk about these things and how you demo them in your in your course because I'm I'm able to very easily apply what you're doing to what I need to do and get those things into my code base. And that just started, you know, while I was preparing for this episode today. So we haven't been able to roll that out into production yet, but I, I can clearly see the benefits. And I showed it to another team member and I explained, I'm, I'm demoing this course. Look at these things. He's like, oh my goodness, this is, this is great. So he's all on board with this concept now. Great. That, that's great to hear. <laughs> <laughs> while you were putting together the course, I'm, I'm curious if there were any of the, the sections the levels of reusability that you found like you you felt were the most important to to try and get across to the listener to the to your student as it were yeah so this is definitely something that i thought a lot about about how how to structure things and what was important to include and what was not important to include i actually spent a lot of time just editing things out that might be like sort of interesting but not not worth the time and it's interesting because i think the earlier levels are much more common and like you're using components you're using props maybe using slots here and there and so those those patterns are used a lot more and so it's it's really important to talk about those because it's it's you know the bread and butter the the core of what we're pretty much doing all the time but at the same time these higher levels have a lot more impact or leverage. And so if you if you use extension one time, that that can be a huge, a huge deal. And so, you know, it there's kind of a trade-off there. And so, yeah, so it's not really a great answer to your question, but that's the way I think about it, at least. That's fine. And that makes sense to me, comparing with my team, where obviously everyone very much uses props very much understand slots. Name slots is understandable. But then when we get into scope slots, that's that's definitely a part that's a little more tricky to understand if you're coming at it from a different perspective. We have one developer that's been, you know, he's he's worked in a number of different frameworks, not not single page applications necessarily, just back in server-side rendered frameworks. And 
when he looked at slots, he was a little bit confused just because it didn't follow the web standard. It was it was a view concept. So I can definitely understand needing uh, to put more emphasis on the uh, scope slots and the concepts behind that. Yeah, and with the with slots and scope slots, I do I have lessons for each of those in turn, especially the scope slots. I've I've found that it's tricky to understand and wrap your head around. And so, yeah, it was important to make sure that people understand how they how they work and not just how to use them, but how to or not not just how to consume them if if you're using a like a third-party library that has them, but understanding them enough that you can actually use them yourself in your own components. Yeah, I agree there. And I I see in your in your module about inversion, there's a whole section about scope slots. I and I like the title there, why are scope slots it's upside down? <laughs> yeah. I don't remember when it finally clicked for me, but I think I think we actually had a conversation briefly on Twitter, Michael, where I I find, I tweeted I was like, wait, so slow, scope slots is this, right? And you're like, yeah, basically. I definitely appreciated that light bulb moment, and it definitely opened some new opportunities for writing code that that isn't just library code because I always thought it was just a library code type thing, but it actually helps an application too. Yeah, and it's those aha moments that I think are the most valuable. They're, they're the things that I've found the most valuable as I've gotten more experienced with frameworks. Like once once you're familiar with view and you've used it for six months or a year or whatever, and you're not like, you know, diving into the the docs every five minutes to try to figure out how to, how to do stuff. Like once you've gone past that stage, it's those like changes in how you think about things or like almost like paradigm shifts in your head. All of a sudden you can view these things from a different angle and suddenly you can understand more about what you're doing. And so that was that was one major goal for me with this course was not so much teaching about features or how to use slots or how to use scope slots even, but trying to give you as many of those aha moments as possible so that you know you you walk away from this course having like a wider set of tools for thinking about things that you maybe wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So having not done the course yet myself, that sounds amazing. You know, again, I still feel like feel like a beginner. And one of the things that I've struggled I've, I have struggled with in many programming languages is that there's typically great intros, great advanced material, but not a lot of things that help you become better than beginner. Like you're not looking to become a Jedi. You're just looking to become more competent. And it absolutely sounds like everything you're talking about would be perfect for people who have gotten past the hello world and view and, you know, and view itself is so easy, but I think getting past the easy stuff, people would need help. And again, this sounds perfect. Yeah, that was definitely what I was going for. This course is definitely aimed at like intermediate and, and advanced. It assumes that you already have a pretty good grasp of view and you're able to be productive with it already. Mm -hmm. But it's, yeah, it's there to yeah, help you get even better with it. So I'd like to talk about some of the, the tools that were used in putting together the course. 
and part part of that includes the hosting and release of it. But the first one I noticed while I was watching is that you're using the uh, the composition API from Vue three, yeah, uh, as as your code examples. I thought that was really cool. I'd love to hear how you uh, felt making that transition from the the options API to the composition API uh, in particular, needing to to have it down enough to write the material for this course. Yeah, so I I've played around with the composition API a little bit here and there, but I've never actually before this course used it for anything substantial. And so I wanted to make sure that this course was not going to be out of date before it even launched. And so getting onto Vue 3 and and even just using the composition API was something that I felt was important. Even though you can still use the options API with Vue 3. But yeah, it it was actually not too it wasn't too difficult to figure out, I think. For me, the, the, the best part was that the, or the part that made it easier for me was that the logic in the examples for the course are not actually like that involved or that crazy. And so making that switch was relatively straightforward. And I had been doing experiments with the Composition API and playing around with it enough to have like, enough of a basic grasp on it. And so, yeah, the the Vue team has done an extremely good job with the Composition API, in my opinion. And that's great to hear because I am still working on a Vue 2 application and because we're targeting Internet Explorer, we're not yet able to upgrade. But it's it's really good to hear that you you had such a good experience. I mean, granted, the, the code examples are just that. That's not the full logic for some complex things. But the fact that you were able to make that migration yourself, that sounds great. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. If if you haven't used the Composition API yet, it's it's not a huge task to figure it out if you're already familiar with computed props and watchers and, and all the rest. And also, they made it fully optional, which is even better because you don't have to. You, you can take your time and, and you know, incrementally update, too. Right. Another thing I noticed, and I, I hit, I'm, I, I'm somebody who pays attention to the details in videos, is I noticed you were using Tailwind. It looks like for your styling, is that correct? Yeah, yes, I am. And it, I mean, this this is more off topic from from view, but how do, how do you feel about Tailwind? Obviously, you're using it and you like it, I would assume. But I'd just like to get your opinion on that. I I would say that I'm fully behind Tailwind. I've been using it for I don't know a year and a half now. I think on my blog and then also in this course. And I haven't had any issues with it. And it's really easy to use and to just, you know, get something out there and, and tweaking things is so easy. Even refactoring things, I think that's the that's the big sticking point people have with it is what happens when you go to refactor. But I've I've found it to be very useful. I don't think I'm using it like I don't think I'm using a hundred percent of what it what it's capable of, but but I definitely want to figure out more of it. Cool. Heard of Tailwind, but you know, my outside of hearing about it, what is in that that would be something that I would be interested in? Is it like Bootstrap? Is it less than Bootstrap or different in Bootstrap? Yeah. So it's a CSS utility framework. So it's just CSS classes essentially. And so instead of coupling your HTML with your CSS, you have it 
fully decoupled. And so everything that you want to do is a, is a style. And so if you, for it's a, it's a class. And so if you want to do layout with Flexbox, then it's just a series of classes that you put on to those HTML elements. And then you get your Flexbox layout. And then there's different prefixes and things like that. So you could do responsive layouts and, and things like that. And so it's actually pretty powerful. Yeah, like if you want the, the text size to change at different breakpoints, you can do MD for like a medium screen colon class name. And then you have your responsive media query baked into that class. And then away you go. Yeah, I am a uh, huge Tailwind proponent. So I I love seeing it when, when it appears in courses or pictures or something. So awesome. When I first started taking computer science classes in college, I thought programming was just a joke. In fact, I changed my major over to engineering and started doing computer engineering and chip design. Then I found Ruby and I fell in love. I love Ruby. It was my first real programming language where I dove deep and really learned how to make software that makes a difference for other people. Since then, and the way that we got started with devchat.tv, we started a show called Ruby Rogues. It's currently in the 400s of episodes. We've talked to hundreds of people in the Ruby community about the Ruby community, about the Ruby programming language, about Rails, and about what makes good programming. So if you're interested in Ruby Rogues, or you just want to hear a long series of experienced programmers talking about real problems, then go check out rubyrogues.com. I'd like to talk about some of the other tools that you used. And this is more on the, the hosting and release of the course. And maybe we can also talk about some of the, the things you use to actually record everything. But I was... I noticed as I was going through that you were using Netlify for your hosting. Mm-hmm. I believe you were using Auth0. Hope I can say that. Uh, using Auth0 for your, your authentication. And I think it was Vimeo for the, the video hosting. Is that correct? Yeah. So what, what led you to choose those options for your, your, the hosting of this new course? So Netlify was a pretty easy choice. I've used Netlify for years now with my blog and with my last course, Clean Components. And I have all of my checkout and authentication logic and everything like that in Netlify functions. And it's so easy to configure and to just have things work. And especially for the kinds of things that I'm doing where they're not very backend heavy at all. And so these quick little Lambda functions are just like the perfect thing for that. And so, yeah, the, the infrastructure side of things is I basically copied what I had done for my previous course and then, you know, updated some things here and there. The video hosting is done with Vimeo. And the main reason I went with Vimeo is because they offer 4K at 60 frames per second. And I know that not everyone maybe not even the majority of people will be watching these videos at that high of a, a bit rate. But I don't know, just for my own personal satisfaction, I wanted to be able to be able to provide that because I don't know, when I'm watching YouTube and or, or anything else really, I I enjoy the higher quality videos and, you know, I try and get the highest resolution I can. So why not do that with my course? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I I appreciate that I can be playing the video on either a small screen or a large screen and the the quality still comes through. So I'm able to read the code 
like you were saying on YouTube, sometimes you'll find videos where uh, for some reason they didn't, they weren't able to save it in a higher resolution and the code itself is kind of blurry and harder to read. But yeah, the, these videos come through nice and clear. And I think you were using Auth0, correct, for the uh, authentication? Yep. How How is that integration going? I I tried using Auth0 a bit for a side project and I wasn't quite successful fast enough and I realized this was just a prototype. So I, I set it aside and moved on. How, how have you felt about using it? Well, I've had some issues with it, but I don't know if it's Auth0 or if it's just my lack of understanding. I mean, maybe it's a both of both combined. But I mean, authentication is in you know in in my experience dealing with it has it's always complicated and it's complicated to have something that's actually properly secure. I could you know throw up something that looks like it's secured, but you know having uh, something that's done properly is beyond my abilities, I would say. And so I like knowing that there's someone else dealing with all those complexities. <laughs> and granted, it's a, it's an online course. And so like, I mean, it's not like I'm doing anything confidential or like top secret, but you know, it's it's still something that's important to do. Can you talk about, so I assume you're using Vue for the course layout as well, but is there like, how are you using Vue and how did that impact the uh, secure aspect, if at all? Yeah, so I'm not sure that it actually affects it that much. It's just you have to have some hooks into your application so that you can log in and mm-hmm. and do redirects and, and whatnot as appropriate. So is is the front-end courseware, is it is it using a, a particular Vue framework? Is it using a Next or whatever? Yeah, so for the website that, that hosts the course, I'm using ViewPress. Oh. Yeah, so the, my blog is in Gridsum, and for my courses, I decided to you know, branch out a little bit and get some experience with some other frameworks, and so that's why it's in ViewPress. This may be greedy. I mean, you've just done the course, but then I would love to see a presentation slash blog post on how you built the course. Yeah, essentially what we're talking about today, but I would love to see a long form version of you talking about this in detail. I think that'd be great. Yeah, maybe I'll do that someday then. <laughs> You're almost done. Right? You're almost done. We, have, we all have plenty of time. Right? <laughs> on the note of ViewPress though, what's your experience been with that? I, The most I have used ViewPress is when I was experimenting with VitePress just to prove that it worked. <laughs> but yeah, I, my main website is written in Gridsome and most of my other projects either use the Vue CLI or Nuxt. So I'd be, I'd be curious about your experience there. Yeah, so ViewPress, the approach there is is that it's more based on configuration. And so it it errs on the side of being quick and easy to set up but maybe a little limiting in how it's used. So something like Gridsum, I found a lot easier to get get whatever I want in there. Press, I found it requires a little bit more hacking around what it wants to do. But also, I'm not necessarily using ViewPress in the way that it's meant to be used, which is for documentation. And so generally with documentation, like you just want to write some markdown and get something up. And that's that's the whole point. And so 
for its aim, I think it's a really good tool. But like using ViewPress for your personal blog is you're trying to like shoehorn this thing into a completely different use case, basically. That's at least my impression of it. I could be totally wrong. <laughs> and that that was my impression as well. I just you have more experience with it, so I was curious. While we're talking about Gridsome, and again, this is slightly off topic from the course. I've I've been very intrigued with what's going on with Nuxt, especially Nuxt content, and I've been considering redoing my blog from Gridsome to Nuxt just to get that experience. Have Have you had similar thoughts? Have you been following what's going on in Nuxt? I've been following a little bit. I haven't. I don't think I've ever used Nuxt, like not even in like a small project that I abandoned 10 minutes later, which is probably like, it's something I want to look into more because they're doing some really interesting things. My hope is that in the long run, the company I work at, we could switch to having some, some things done with Nuxt, but that's like, you know, a years long thing. So, but you know, I've got that in the back of my head and yeah, hopefully we'll get there someday. Yeah, I, I'm in a similar boat where uh, at this point I have two Nuxt applications that I'm maintaining at work, but that's two of maybe three Nuxt applications total in the company and most of it is not <laughs> using Node at all. So it's mm. it's definitely on my list of things to help the company with as well. Yeah. So what was it like for you just just making the course itself? What was it like going through the process of coming up with the modules and putting together all of this content. And then if, if you like, maybe we can also talk about just the process of editing and going through all of the, the videos. I would imagine you have to watch them a few times just to make sure everything is correct. Yeah, so I think the biggest thing that I didn't realize upfront was it's a psychologically difficult thing to do. And I say that because it's like, I've, I've spent at this point I think it would be a total of about five months working on this course, like part-time. And the first like almost two months was just figuring out how to do video, how to like, what lights should I get? How do I set them up? How do I do that? How do I record and then get it into editing? How do I edit it? Like sort of figuring out that process just to get like a decent quality video done. And then, and then the rest of the process was figuring out the content and then actually creating the content and recording and editing. So it's a, it's a fairly big undertaking. I don't think I've ever done anything like, like this, like in this scope before, like five months beginning to end, not knowing if it will 